0: hi this is john barnes and you're listening to cop On.
1: in our heart of hearts believing victory crowns the just and that braggarts must surely bite the dust press we to the field ungrieving in our heart of hearts believing victory crowns the just welcome you gladsome Buttercup, you European cup winning buttercup! to the Cop-On Champions of Europe special. You can follow us on Twitter, at Cop-On Podcast, send us your European Cup-winning malware to coponpodcast at gmail.com or support us for just one European Cup-winning US dollar a month and win some prizes for doing so via patreon.com forward slash Cop on podcast. Clopo's heroes have become legends. Did we go to Madrid or heaven? Here to survey these giddy heights and take stock are Karen Hindocha in Hyderabad and Shane Weichel in Los Angeles. Thank you, immeasurably for listening and being with us all season, whoever you are, wherever you are. Thank you. Enjoy. So, thank you very much. I've got Karen joining from India and I've got Shane in the USA. Um, Guys, uh, it's... Uh, woof, what day is it? It's Tuesday. I'm losing track of time. We won the Champions League on Saturday. Uh, Divock Origi's goals sealed it. Um, It's still hard for me to process. I want my first question is, is for you, Shane. I'm going to go to you first. H- how well have you processed the fact that Liverpool are the champions of Europe for the sixth time? Oh,
2: wow. Wow. The phrase, the sentence... Oh, it's just so still so hard to hear. Um, Thank you, Owen, for having me on. Yeah, I don't. uh, It's hard to it's hard to describe. Uh, It keeps setting in more and more as the days go on. And it really I was kind of in disbelief when it first happened. But now I'm just I'm just brimming over the top with excitement each and every day. And I think after the parade and everything, it's just the more and more as time goes on, the more it takes hold.
1: It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to 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 have to get used to, isn't it, uh, Karen? You you are a champion of Europe. How how are you feeling about it all? Has it sunk in yet?
0: No, I think I still need a lot of time to sunk it in because, um, it's been a long time since we won a European Cup. It was in two thousand and five, and we've waited a really, really long time. So I want to take this all in very slowly because. Um, this is something that doesn't happen every day. It happens every year. So um, the slower you process it, the more fun and the more, um, you know, you can take the more fun out of it. Um, and you watch, when you watch all the videos and pictures, um, the parade and everything, it makes you feel so happy and so proud. I want to sunk it all in slowly.
1: Yeah, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. Shane, where were you for the big match? Where did you watch it?
2: So uh, I, my plans actually were kind of jostled up a bit. Originally, I was planning on watching it at the Liverpool Supporters Club here in Los Angeles at Joxer Dailies. Um, but um, uh, there was a little bit of change in plans with my girlfriend. She runs her own business, and she was not going to be able to become free until about 10 a.m. So here in the United States, the game, uh, I know everywhere else it happened at night, prime time, 8 p.m. or 7 p.m. But uh, in the United States, it happened at noon, at uh, straight up noon o'clock in the day. And um, the bar actually was only going to open from 8 a.m. to let people in. And they were going to officially close their doors at 9 a.m. And they weren't going to let in a single person because it was going to be absolutely full fulfilled. Um, uh, and so... Last year, uh, the, I felt like the big difference uh, Big difference was that uh, my girlfriend was away on a trip and I was here uh, in Los Angeles and uh, I, I introduced Liverpool to her and she's now a, a rabid fan. And so this year she said, you know what, you could still go to the bar and everything. And I said, you know what, I think that's probably what did us in in Kiev. So I think you and I need to be together and watch this game at home and really try to share it if, it's, if we're going to win and it's going to be something special. And you know what? I think it ended up being a difference maker. So I, at first I was a little disappointed that I wasn't going to be, you know, romping around in my luchador, my Mexican luchador Liverpool mask at the uh, supporters club with a pint in my hand. But it was nice to share it at home with someone that I introduced to Liverpool. Uh, with and it, it, it turned out to be a special experience all on its own.
1: That must have been it. I mean, the next time we get to a final, make sure you do the same thing. Share, share it
0: with your girlfriend. That's a lovely story. I love that. Karen, where were you? I, my plans changed at the last moment. Um, I was supposed to watch uh, the game at uh, at uh, someone's house. Um, they um, are apparently very close friends. Um, but they have a home theater system in the house. It's like a huge room with uh, a screen and several rocking chairs. Um, But then uh, they had to travel to Bangalore urgently, and uh, we had to cancel the plan because they were arriving during the game. So um, me and my dad planned to watch it at home. And since our new house was ready, and I um, asked the designer to set it out as Liverpool theme, so um, I was busy decorating the room uh, in the morning. And uh, uh, you must have seen the video I shared in the group, um, how my room looks like.
1: Yeah, it looked amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. me and my dad were watching the game. We always watch um, all the finals together. Um, it was, this was our fifth final, uh, four Champions League finals and one Europa League final. So um, I really enjoy uh, watching the game with him. And uh, this season, he couldn't watch most of the games because he was busy with uh, the house. So um, this this time he could make it to the final and we were watching it together. And oh my God, he was so happy. And you can imagine emotions uh, um, on my face as well. So I think it was a really good um, moment that we had a first final in a new house and we won it. That sounds terrific, Karen. Great to watch it in your new home. Liverpool
1: newly crowned champions of Europe. It's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? And I'm, and I'm going to stick with feelings for the moment before we start talking about the actual match. Because, you know, as Klopp said himself, this is, you know, an extremely emotional club that we follow, Liverpool FC. I mean, you can compare it to, you know, any other club in the world. I mean, this... This team, even Mourinho and Wenger—I don't know if you've seen that video—were just in awe of your "Never Walk Alone," saying it was, you know, unique. It was extraordinary. It was, you know, a wonderful thing to to be at the Wanda Metropolitano listening to your "Never Walk Alone" for the Liverpool fans. We are an emotional club, so I'm going to stick with feelings. And Klopp, uh, Jurgen Klopp, our manager, um, now joins the list of European Cup-winning managers. We have Bob Paisley, who won it three times, 77, 78, 81. Uh, Joe Fagan, who won it in 1984. Rafa Benitez in 2005. And Jurgen Klopp in 2019. And uh, I know we've spoken about him a few times, uh, especially recently on Cop On Podcast, but I just can't talk about him enough. Um, Jurgen, he's he's... He's ideal for us, and I hope he stays for another 10 years uh, at the moment. I really do. How do you feel about our manager, Shane? He's incredible.
2: Uh, yeah, I want him to stay even longer uh, than Arson was at Arsenal. I, I want him to be here for for as long as he, he, he wants to manage football. Um, there's so many things to say about him. He really embodies this father this like fatherhood this father role model type of person for our club through and through for people of all ages he's an example of leadership he sets the tone he he perfectly guides us uh through it all and, and, and we're fully on board with that um through the core of the club through the manager through the players the supporters the owners we're all on board and we're all behind Jürgen. and uh i don't know it's something incredible
1: isn't it yeah, totally, totally. Um, Klopp versus Pochettino. By the way, in their in their careers, they've played each other ten times. Um, Jurgen Klopp has five wins. They have four draws, and Pochettino has only won once in those 10 matches. I mean, when you consider how brilliant Pochettino is, he's only won once against our Klopp, Karen. Um, Klopp
0: is just, I mean, he's. Is he the best in the world, would you say, Karen? If I have to rank the top two or three managers, he would certainly be there in the first position because um, the way he has transformed our club since his arrival in 2015. I mean, his, that season, we went to the Europa League final. I mean, what manager does that in his, um, as soon as he arrives at a new club? He wanted uh, to make things better right at, on his arrival. I mean, that's really incredible. And look what he's done. We have been to the Europa League final, the Cup final, two Champions League finals. And this is incredible. He's building a team um, so strong that rival teams fear has to play. And that is really what's happening. I mean, if you compare last season and this season, people rate Liverpool football clubs so high that they really think that this club is going to achieve a lot of things with Klopp as the manager. And um, we had this feeling as soon as he arrived. I mean, I was literally bouncing when I heard the announcement And uh, my roommate was uh, literally asking me, what's wrong? What's wrong? Why are you jumping? And I actually told him we signed Jurgen Klopp. And he was like, oh, wow, you're going to do massive things at this club. And that's really happening. And I'm so happy that we have him. Um, I really think that he should uh, uh, see out his career at a club. But as he said that he wants to take a break in 2022. Um, But I really hope that the owners and Michael Edwards convince him to stay longer. Yeah,
1: totally, and let's and let's you know look back a little bit in those, you know, uh, not even four years really of 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 Kloppo because you know the last game of the twenty fifteen season was Stoke six Liverpool one when we had Brendan Rodgers in charge of course I mean everybody remembers that you might not remember the date it was the twenty fourth of May, twenty fifteen Kloppo joined in October of that year and you know how the nuts have we managed to come so far I mean Klopp is you know the pivotal point the centre of that transformation I mean and you know look at look in over the right, you know, the decisions that we made—these brilliant, correct decisions—again and again and again in terms of transfers, in terms of terms of who to keep, who to sell, who to move on, and building the team spirit. I mean, it's, there are so many factors of how Jurgen Klopp's managed to pull us from basically being the team that got beaten by Stoke 6-1 to European champions and one of the very, very best teams. In the world, uh, Shane. Over these last four years of Klopp, what has stood out for you as you know one of the one of the many factors of how we got from I don't know B or C or D all the way to A?
2: You're absolutely right. There are so many things coming into play when we're talking about Jurgen Klopp and his staff and what he's done uh, for us. There are so many things that we don't see as supporters. Um, For example, there was an article recently put out by uh, the New York Times Magazine, which I believe you tweeted on the COP on Twitter, Uh, but it goes into detail about the importance of statistical analysis for Jurgen Klopp and his men, and uh, and how that actually wasn't prominent and wasn't very popular at all uh, a few years ago, and so it's actually kind of an an incredible article to read, but it really illuminates the importance of just the fine, fine, fine margins. Jurgen Klopp obsesses over. Um, the, the, the nutritional data, um, the, the physio data, anything else uh, that has to do with mental health as well, um, Jurgen Klopp is on the forefront of. the uh, Not necessarily there's so much old ways of tough love and sort of stuffing up, sort of that mental pressure that um, and emotional pressure that Uh, players go through but opening up and having a freedom of expression and total health total interconnectedness total well-being I mean Jurgen Klopp is stuff that would have been considered sort of woo-woo a few decades ago it it seems to be very prominent now Um, and I think the main thing is that we all feel like a family Um, and I think that I think that goes such a long way I think that goes such a long way along with like concussion protocols and just things, that, just things that just make sense. So, yeah, I mean, there's just so much to say.
1: There is so much to say. Um, you know, what can you add to it, Karen, about, uh, you know, how we got from a pretty average team to champions of Europe? What can you say about how our manager's done that?
0: Um, just like Shane pointed out, uh, the power of statistics, um, I think data science is really booming and that has played a massive role um, to change our club from an average club to a really powerful, good club. Um, Right from the the start, I think he took care of uh, players' fitness. Um, uh, He gave players the freedom to go out and express themselves. Um, You've seen a lot of players develop um, under his uh, reign. Um, and another thing that I'd like to point out is the ability to um, bring positivity in all of the players and fans' minds. Um, and, and before his arrival, we were all, um, we were all thinking that um, anything can happen in the game. You can either win, lose, draw. I mean, it was really uncertain. But since his arrival, he started to bring that um, Liverpool uh, style of play. And we were shaping into a really good team with his tactics, uh, with his mastermind planning and all the other factors that come in. I mean, it's really hard to point out um, a a factor or two that has helped a club transform uh, and become a really good club right now. But I think uh, he has uh, a pivotal role to play and he is helping out all his staff um, to do the job so great. And that is, um, that is transforming the results. I mean, his efforts, his, uh, all the planning and tactics are working out spot on. And uh, since his arrival, we can see the way we are, we are playing, uh, the style of play, and um, the fitness levels and everything. And I think it's, it's really massive uh, that we have a manager like him. It's an excellent
1: answer. It's a really, really good answer. And yeah, data science, but also the positivity. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's the tangibles and the intangibles that he brings to our club. It's absolutely incredible. He's, a, he's such a hero. He's such a brilliant, brilliant guy and the perfect manager for us. And I loved the way he almost sort of fell off the bus and he'd had a few drinks and he started pouring a beer over... Brewster's head, and he was waving at that naked man on top of the ladder. Oh, I've seen about a thousand images, I well, at least a thousand images, more than that, probably. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to go to Madrid, and I saw the effect of the positivity on all the fans. I mean, that's why I was there. I knew I wouldn't get a ticket. I didn't feel that I deserved a ticket, because I think, you know, the, the fans who go week in, week out, um, you know, to all the aways and all the home matches, I didn't even ask for a ticket. But just the positivity that, you know, we were there with one big family was superb, superb. Um, I want to talk about, you know, something I've been thinking about, though, um, you know, Champions League winners. I've heard a few podcasts uh, as well since our victory and on a few of them. Uh, They were saying, you know, the Champions League is better than the Premier League to win. And I'm sure that a lot of the players feel the same way, you know, that it's the biggest trophy in the world. And it is, it is the biggest trophy in the world. Uh, Well, especially, you know, in in club football. Um, But my question is to you guys, would you swap with Man City? I think. You know, I find this a curious question to ask. Would you swap with them as being the Premier League winners uh, and they're the Champions League winners? Or would you keep it as is because the Champions League is better? What do you think, Shane? I definitely would keep things the way they
2: are. I wouldn't, I wouldn't switch it uh, for anything in the world. I mean, I, I, in a way, this is, this is kind of how it should be. Uh, I mean, it's the better trophy. We're on top. It's the thing that they want most. I wouldn't give, I wouldn't give up a higher position in terms of, um, in terms of silverware award just to, just to get a, a Premier League title sooner because we all know it's coming. Without a doubt, um, it's coming. And, it's, and this win is so important. It's so important for the whole narrative of the whole year of can Klopp do it, can he get over the line. The, the six finals in a row of, not, of, of, of only getting a runner's up medal. It's just, no, I, the, the simple answer is no. I wouldn't give it up for anything in the world because we all know that it's, that it's coming in the future. It just kind of feels like this closet, you know, those images from, from movies where you, there's this closet and a single thing falls out and, you know, you go to crack open the closet and just a landslide of <laughs> clutter comes out and, ah, in my wildest dreams, that's going to be silverware for Liverpool.
1: I love that answer. Yeah, fantastic. What do you think, Karen? I mean, would you would you swap places with Man City even for a domestic
0: treble? Um, no. Um, honestly, I think we should keep things the way they are. I mean, we are a European powerhouse. We have six Champions League titles and three Europa League titles. I mean, just look at our reputation in the European leagues we are so good in the european leagues why would you drop something that you are so good at to something that you want so desperately i mean we are challenging for both the trophies uh this year but we only got uh hands on one of them so why can't we do that every year let's challenge for both the trophies and let's see if we can hand uh, if we can land one or both of them um, and do this every season because i think we have the capability to do that. We can win the domestic league or leagues and um, win the Champions League as well. Why can't we do that? So I think we should really just keep things the way they are, challenge for domestic trophies as well, and um, see thing, how, how things develop. Another
1: wonderful answer. Another wonderful answer. Um, see, this morning I don't know. I've been thinking. I was thinking about this. You know, on my way to work, it took me about an hour to get to work, and I was thinking about it for about fifty-eight minutes. Um, and I'm actually going to disagree with you both because I, I'm. It's a very good point that I, I didn't even think about in those fifty-eight minutes. That you know, the narrative, if Klopp. Um, you know, had lost another final, a seventh successive one. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. So maybe I'll change my mind again. But after 29 years, it just would be nice to put that one to bed as well. But yes, I'm going to take your advice, Karen, and I'm just going to not change things the way they are. Of course, I'm going to revel in the glory of being a Champions League winner. And, you know, the funny funny tweets that I've read from Man City and Everton fans saying, you know, it's just like the League Cup, etc. Because it's not. It is the biggest competition in the world. And, uh, you know, I I said in in our preview show that, uh, you know, that one match, had we lost to Tottenham, oh, how heartbreaking that would have been and how this team would have been remembered um, as... You know, also rands, you know, glorious runners-up as a brilliant team. As it is, we're going to be, you know, this team is going to be remembered as legends. And rightly so. And there are so many of them. There's Henderson, you know. Let's start with the captain, Jordan Henderson, Liverpool legend. Karen, staying with you, our captain lifting the cup. How did that feel for you? For me, it was um what what
0: can you say i'm i was just thrilled for him utterly thrilled yeah i'm gonna start with um, a hilarious tweet that i uh read um from one of the everton fans apparently and he told me uh he was uh sorry he was sharing this on twitter that everton are going to win the champions league by 2021 and i couldn't <laughs> stop laughing i mean i, I was literally strolling <laughs> over the floor laughing so um, if they can be that <laughs> stupid, then just be stupid that way. <laughs> um, speaking about our captain, um, I have no words to describe um, what, how happy I am to see him lift the trophy. I mean, you could see the emotions on his face, um, how much he wanted it, how much the club wanted it. And um, you, you must have also seen a short video of him hugging his dad in the stands. Um, that was so emotional, I mean, I couldn't stop crying. Um, I think, you know, people give a lot of stick to him, but uh, I really think that he is a fantastic midfielder. I mean, the way he controls the game, he reads the game and pushes the players um, to do more and he lifts the players in case we concede a goal or something and that is just fabulous. He is a leader and um, such leaders are really important for a football club if the club wants to achieve things. We have several leaders in the team, Van Dyke, Milner, and um, future Captain Trent as well. I'm hoping that. um, These qualities bring out the best out of the players, and he's doing that. The whole season, he's done done just that. Not just this season, all the years he's uh, he's played for us, he's done exactly the same. He... Uh, When he was second to Steven Gerrard, I think he was learning a lot from him. And he's displaying exactly the same thing, uh, the same leadership qualities uh, into our team. And we've seen that uh, this season. Um, And when I saw him lifting the trophy, I was so happy, so, so, so happy.
1: That's lovely. I mean, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I mean, I... It, oh, you can just tell you can just tell how much it means and in that hug you're right to bring up that beautiful moment with his dad but this is a team full of heroes there are so many of them it would have meant so much to Salah I mean we've got Trent we've got we've got Van Dijk as you mentioned Matip Sadio Mane there are so many heroes Shane talk to me about any one of them
2: oh my goodness it's so hard to pick out any uh, pick out just one um yeah. I let's, let's talk about Muhammad Salah. Let's talk about Muhammad Salah. I thought I was going to talk about Trent at first, but and he would have been a wonderful choice and I might, I might go back to Trent by the end, but Muhammad Salah, <laughs> it's so important for him to, to get that early goal from the start. I mean, we're looking at a year on, so I, I don't know if any, if everyone remembers just how hard of a summer Muhammad Salah had. He, uh, you know, he gets his shoulder thrown out by Sergio Ramos, you know, goes out in the first half of his first Champions League final. Uh, It felt, honestly, with the way that uh, that team attacked and tactically how Klopp was at that stage, if Mo would have been in it, I I feel like last year's final would have had some spectacular goals that uh, that weren't just from Gareth Bale. Um, But yeah, and then to have everything go down with the, in the World Cup with struggling uh, with his form, with his fitness, uh, with just playing through injuries. He, uh, he had terrible conditions uh, for his hotel stay, people uh, shouting and chanting outside his windows late in the middle of the night. Um, and then just the whole squabble there with the Egyptian FA and being at, at odds with its leadership. Um, being told to leave Liverpool if they don't win anything this year. Uh, just absolutely all the pressure for him being almost labeled as too big for Liverpool as almost being the superstar that's, uh, that's above them in some way. And, and, and then not even starting the year with, you know, it's, <laughs> it's as if the media expected Mohamed Salah to start his, his second year at Liverpool with 44 goals in the first weekend. It, 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 and like he earned so many goals this season he, you know over tw- uh, 20 plus goal season uh, in all campaigns and all competitions uh, and it, he had to deal with with all of that negative stigma he had to he had a deal with racism he had to, he had to deal with all of it and he had to even prove himself again not just not just the way that he proved himself in the first season which was trailblazing it was absolutely mesmerizing but the fact that he had to prove himself to the world again and he did so and then he's he's in that position again and and we answered this question and we as a team answered this question of can we win without Mohamed Salah because that was that was answered in the second in the second leg at Anfield against Barcelona Uh, almost a similar situation uh, you know when we were against Real Madrid without Mohamed Salah and to see that we as a team could answer that question then Mohamed Salah could answer the question of being able to shoulder that burden, to take on that first goal, to handle the pressure, and to show that he's, he's not some second-year slump, you know, slip-up. Um, so, yeah, I'm just so very happy for him. I'm so very happy for his family. I'm so ha- very happy for, for his world, for, for everything that he's involved with for everything that he brings for Liverpool to get a Champions League final goal, to feel good and to know to give us that lead right from the start. I. am just so very happy for him.
1: That's a marvelous answer. That's a marvelous answer. And let's let's move on. I mean, we can, as you say, we can talk about. It's so hard to choose just one hero from this team of heroes. We could talk about them for hours and hours and hours. But yes, Mohamed Salah did get the first goal. There was a game of football, and we could talk. Move on to talk about that now. Yeah, the game itself. Um, as you say, Mohamed Salah uh, scored a penalty which was given after 22 seconds as everybody uh, who listens to this surely knows Um, in case you hadn't seen it back 300 times and looked at it very, very, very closely from kick-off To those 22 seconds, it went a little bit like this. So we kicked off, we passed it backwards to Matip, who launched a long diagonal ball towards the left wing, towards Manny, which is a very standard way of us kicking off. We've been doing it all season. Spurs won the header. Then there was some kind of head tennis, you know, back and forth, until it came to Virgil, who won his first header. He headed it down to Wijnaldum, who played a quick, you know, it was almost a 50-50, but he, he won it, and a quick short pass to Hendo was only about a couple of metres to his right um, Hendo took a lovely first touch and then played this glorious pass over the top for Mane which bounced once and on the second bounce Mane controlled it by which time he was in the corner of the penalty area the far corner you know away from the uh, you know as far away as you can from the goal but he was in the box and um, you know he took a couple of touches and then lifted it against Sissoko's arm it was a penalty uh, that's what the referee said, that's what VAR said, 22 seconds gone, penalty to Liverpool. I was going nuts, I was going crazy, I was in a bar that was full of people, it was like a sauna, it was going mad, it was pure madness, it was pure madness, Karen, wasn't it, but was it a penalty? I mean, you know, I spoke to some Spurs fans after it, and they were adamant that it was not a penalty,
0: it hit it, I mean, you know, was it a penalty for you, Karen? Yeah, it was definitely a penalty, I mean, Um, in the penalty box, what are you doing sticking your hand out? I mean, your defense is sorted. What are you doing sticking your hand out? Um, And I understand that the ball hits his armpits or his chest or something before it hits the arm, Um, um, but I think that is a clear penalty. I mean, you're not allowed to do that, and players certainly take advantage of it um, and I think Mani was trying to cross to Salah, but uh, the flight of the ball was so perfectly landed on Sogazam, and it was a penalty. Um, and in the post-match uh, show, um, one of the referees, um, I think in the VAR or someone, um, was speaking to um, Gary Lineker and his team, and um, he was mentioning that what are the reasons. Uh, that a penalty will be awarded in the penalty box for an incident like that. And he clearly pointed out that as a defender, um, in such situations, normally you would keep your hand, um, I mean, away from, uh, I mean, behind your body or something and uh, try to use your legs to defend. But um, using your hands in that way, I think um, it's a clear indication that uh, please hit my arm and uh, get a penalty. And I think that's just what happened. Um, it was Manus' brilliance and course, so, so
1: stupidity that won the a penalty. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. But my, my problem with it, I mean, I do see where the Spurs fans are coming from. I mean, you can't chop off your arms. But, uh, you know, as Karen said, you know, it was a bit silly to raise his... He was very, very silly indeed to to raise his arms in the box. So you've got it. So in the future, basically now VAR is coming in in the Premier League as well. Defenders will have to defend with their arms behind their backs whenever they're in the in the penalty area, and it's I don't know. It's a bit it's a bit difficult because if they don't defend with their arms behind their backs at all times, then it's going to be a new tactic, isn't it? To Shane is to to sort of for the attacker to just lift the ball against the arm, because if your arm is out, it's going to be given a penalty every time. And I don't know, is that fair, Shane? I mean, is, is, I mean, Karen's exactly right. Um, it is, according to the rules, a penalty. But are the rules correct, Shane? So this part
2: of uh, the dialogue really interested me because I actually honestly thought that was already the case. I thought that was already a tactic. Uh, like for example, uh, growing up, I played uh, recreational youth soccer. Sorry, football. And yeah, uh, and um, and a, and a common thing that we were taught growing up playing at this, you know, very low level was uh, was that if you're in the box, uh, a, a, a forward can lift the ball against your arm if you have it really outstretched. And Sasuke really had his arm out, so I, I really do think it was a penalty because. I think his arm was way too far out, and I wouldn't put it past Mane to have thought, wait, let me lift it into his arm, uh, because we were taught that that's what a forward is just going to do to you if you have your arm out like that, so to defend by having your arms to your side or behind your back. Now, I'm interested to know with how it's going to be implemented in the future. If they have to be always behind your back, that's going to be a little unnatural I mean, I would, I would assume that it would be okay if they're reasonably at your side, and there's not some, you know, you're not lifting it up like a wing, so to speak. uh, That I think it would be that you could, you know, as long as you're not like jutting it out and trying to make a play at it with your arm. That if it's lifted purposely, lifted against your arm, that's compressed against your side. That maybe that wouldn't be a penalty. But I mean, if that, if that is the case, if they're calling any contact at all with the arm at all in the future as a penalty kick, then, uh, yeah, it's a little worrisome. Um, but I'm kind of hard, uh, my opinion is a little skewed because I kind of already thought this was the case.
1: Well, yeah, you're probably right then. I mean, you know, it's probably been a, been a shithousery tactic for years that I just, I don't know, nobody ever taught me that, but then I was, I was no good at footy anyway, so that's OK. But uh, then, then uh, Salah stepped up, Um, I was, (laughs) I wasn't, let's say I was 99% confident. I wasn't sure that he was going to get it in, but uh, he hit it with his side foot and Professor Stephen Hawking, RIP, uh, who passed away in March last year, of course, he said that the best way to take a penalty is with Uh, the side foot rather than the laces. Lo and behold, Mo Salah hit it with his side foot. It went in. Best penalty I've ever seen. Um, And Mo Salah became the first Liverpool FC player uh, to score in every round of the Champions League, although he's done it over two seasons. He is the first Liverpool player in history to score in every single round. And it was our fifth penalty of the Champions League campaign just this year our fifth penalty and that's the most amount of penalties in this season's Champions League is level with uh, Porto who also got five and uh, I think VAR is going to help us next year um, another genius Everton fan tweeted um, I think it was last week before the final uh, saying that with, now that VAR is in the Premier League uh, Everton will move into the top four and Liverpool will drop out of it but he obviously doesn't have a clue, doesn't have the foggiest what he's on about because Liverpool are often denied penalties, of course. So anyway, that was the first goal. The second goal, because we'll uh, talk about the, what happened in the middle after, but, uh, you know, Origi's goal. Divock, beautiful Origi. He scored again. Um, info goal, had his shot at only a 4% chance of going in, but he absolutely nailed it into the bottom corner, low into the bottom corner. It was a beautiful square ball by Matip, uh, softer than a chinchilla's slippers, and then Divok took one touch with his right foot to control it, to get it in onto his left, and that diagonal low drive. I never get complacent. I never get ahead of myself in games because football has taught me to never do that. But this was the moment when I thought, it's coming home, Karen. It's coming home. Talk to me about this goal and Divock Origi.
0: Before the game, I, I predicted that we will score early on and we will score a goal or two late on. And that's exactly what happened. Um... I didn't predict the exact time, but just the moment. When would it happen? Um, the first goal was, uh, was a good start. I mean, um, giving a penalty after 22 seconds on the clock is a tough call, but he gave the right call. And uh, Mosala's penalty was brilliantly converted. Um, second goal, I mean, Matip's first assist, I don't know, in a really long time. Um, and um, what an assist. I mean, that one is the European Cup. Um, and Origi, to, sh- to score a goal that way with his weaker foot, um, I think it's brilliant. Um, and in the parade, I think he mentioned that um, um, that he aimed uh, where he wanted to hit and it went in. And he was just really happy to score the goal. And obviously, we all are. Um, I think uh, his stats speak for himself. Um, uh, he's he scored almost every chance that he's got. And um, I'm sure that if he gets more games, I think that numbers will increase. Well, yeah, no, it's interesting. Yeah, I've got some stats for you about about all of that. So, yeah, I mean, you
1: mentioned uh, Joel Matip. Um, yeah, it was his first assist for Liverpool and it was his 98th match. So in 98 matches, he's got one assist. Uh, it's probably, you know, a higher assist rate than Balotelli anyway. But it was a fantastic pass. That was it in uh, 98 matches. I have no idea what he did for uh, Schalke, I'm afraid. But then, yes, regarding Divox's conversion rate, it is actually 100% in the Champions League this season. That means he's averaging a goal every 76 minutes. Of course, he started against Barcelona, but uh, seven substitute appearances. Three shots, three goals, Shane. Um, Divock, have you have you ordered your your bronze to, you know, start making the, the statue? Uh, you can put one at LAX, maybe at the airport, uh, you know, like a Cristiano Ronaldo's one in Madeira.
2: I can't really decide if I should go with bronze or just gold or maybe even platinum. It's really it's really a hard decision. <laughs> I'm, I actually am going to wait to see what Divock wants because he's absolutely <laughs> amazing and he deserves everything he wants. Um, your <laughs> his stats are absolutely amazing. It's so crazy. I it, those goals with you're absolutely right. I had to look at it many times. He's only scored 3 goals in the Champions League this season. But my goodness, can you think of 3 bigger goals? <laughs> I can't. I I <laughs> I'm astounded in his average uh game time between all of his uh all of his appearances this season is only 28 minutes. So he, on average, plays only 28 minutes a game. And like you said, scores every 76 minutes. It's just so crazy to think about how a player who is on, such, uh, who is on the, the literal definition of the fringes of the squad at the beginning of the season, people who, uh, someone who people were questioning whether or not he should have stayed on the team after his loan spell at Wolfsburg, and, and to have such important goals at such vital times and you're absolutely right yeah he had a 100% conversion rate the, the the one stat I also saw that fits in perfectly with that was big chances missed zero he missed absolutely <laughs> zero big chances in the Premier League and in the Champions League uh, it's just uh, it's just incredible it's just incredible what he was able to do with such little time uh, he really did shine his light
1: Oh, he did so brightly, like a whirling Catherine wheel. Superb stuff. Divock, I mean, I dreamt about him. I think I've already told you this. Uh, You know, maybe that, uh, yeah, I dreamt about him a couple of months ago. I woke up from an anxiety dream. Uh, It was a horrible dream until Divock appeared in my dream. Uh, And he looked me straight in the eye and he said, everything will be fine. So, Karen, you were... Um, psychic in your prediction before the match saying that we would score early we would score late you were absolutely perfect with that Uh, the middle of the match the middle of the match I mean lots happened of course but then nothing really happened and lots happened and nothing really happened Um, what did you make of the, the, the the middle of the match in general Karen what are your outstanding moments from the middle of it
0: um I think Um, One moment particularly stands out was Robertson's effort on goal. I mean, that pass from Matip under pressure was outrageous. And um, from that point onwards, Robertson took it to the edge of the penalty box and fired a ferocious shot uh, straight to the keeper, though, but it was a powerful shot. And uh, Loris did well to... um, Sorry, Loris shouldn't have um, pushed it over the bar. He should have just left it. Um, but yeah, I think it was one of the moments that stood out. The other moment was Milner's effort on goal. A um, couple of ricochets and quick feet or something like that. And he managed to take a shot with his left foot. And it just came uh, the crossbar. Um, and I think these two were the moments where I thought, OK, we're going to score now. But other than that, I was just, I don't know. I was thinking, what is happening? Why are we playing this way? Um, Firmino is not at his feet. I mean, he did really well, um, but I think uh, we should have—he should have done better. Uh, so was Genie, and several players were—I don't know—they were making a lot of mistakes. But um, we were not playing the Liverpool way, and we're taking the game to them. Instead, they were bringing the game to us. Um, so I was very nervous um, from minute three to minute eighty-six. Um, but I really had this feeling that if you're scoring, we're winning it. Um, so, and that's, that's what I assess of the, uh, middle part of the game. No, it was a good one, but,
1: but clarify, so I'd, Milner shot just past the post. That's what, that's what you meant instead
0: of hitting the crossbar.
1: We, we didn't hit the crossbar, I think.
0: Said, I said it went inches, uh, to the crossbar. I mean, it didn't hit it, but it went past it. Oh, past the post.
1: Wow. That was a big chance, uh, But, uh, you know, I mean, it was a good shot. I mean, other other shots, Trent had that long shot, of course. You know, uh, there was one big chance for Deli Alley with a header. But, yeah, I would say that we were, you know, we were very bad with the ball. But without it, I thought we were excellent, Shane. I um, I thought, you know, our defence was superb uh, throughout the match. Although, yeah, our passing accuracy, even for the defenders, usually it's up at around, you know, 85, 90% even for defenders, the passing accuracy. But it was down at 70% for our defenders because we just couldn't get out. We couldn't find, you know, simple passes. We were playing dangerous, long passes, losing the ball. Uh, You know, really often, but uh, in Italy, they'd call it a defensive masterclass, wouldn't they? In Portugal, they'd call it a Mourinho masterclass. In Burnley, they'd call it a Sean Dyche masterclass. What did you make of it, Shane? It was a interesting game to watch for sure. Uh, our defense, I
2: would say was, was impeccable. Um, I, I did appreciate, well, for, for certain periods, yes, there was hard to connect passes. I felt like there was a lot of factors at play of why the game didn't, why every pass attempted wasn't the, you know, the silkiest smoothest sort of completion success that, you know, we would love to imagine, uh, as we watch a final. Um, it, you know, it's hot. was humid. It's 35 degrees Celsius. That translates to about 95 degrees Fahrenheit, which to Americans, they, you know, they're like, whoa, that's hot. <laughs> you know, it's a it's it's a I felt like that along with the nerves were coming into play as well. I also uh, felt as uh, the goal really changed things up tactically for us. So as soon as that goal goes in, I mean, it kind of almost felt like uh, all the game plans kind of go out the window And it felt like we wanted to actually now make Tottenham tactically uncomfortable. So from my understanding that the way Tottenham were able to uh, uh, work against uh, Man City, get past Man City, and the way they were able to get past Ajax was scoring off the counter. So it seemed as if Klopp wanted to make them tactically a little bit uncomfortable by... uh, by being sort of okay with them retaining possession in their formation. They had five midfielders. We had three. And, you know, that's a very typical for us, but it didn't seem like we were too bothered with them uh, bossing possession. For example, first half statistics, uh, uh according to sofa they had 63% possession, you know, wow, but two shots and zero on target, even though they had the majority of the possession, it seemed as if they couldn't really do anything with it. Um, I would kind of describe the matches, yes, people described it as cagey or, or, or in the worst words. I've heard people call it uh, boring. But a part of me uh, thinks that it was actually two sparring partners who really knew each other quite well um, and that were kind of dealing with uh, different, different circumstances. So I believe, um, and then let's see what else. So, for example, Liverpool only had 37% position, but you know we had eight total shots, three on target. We only had the one big chance to win in. And yeah, our passing percentages were low. We had a, we had actually had a small number of passes, only at 147, which is incredibly low for uh, one half of football. Um, so yeah, um, but it, what was interesting to me was that uh, what really uh, the statistic that really illuminated the kind of uh, battle that was going on was about the duels won. So both teams uh, had registered 15 duels won. Uh, which I thought was incredible. And surprisingly, we actually registered more aerial duels. Uh, We won eight to their six, which is actually uh, somewhat of a weaker spot for us, uh, what I've noticed statistically uh, as a trend. So it definitely seemed like we were addressing our weaknesses and that we were trying to force them to try to play their game while we were negating them. So, but yeah. Anyway, that's how I assess the first
1: half. Yeah, I mean, those stats were from the first half. And, uh, you know, I would add to that that, uh, you know, we had actually eight shots to their two in the first half, but, you know, only two um, on target. Um, But it was, you know... I thought the first half, I thought we were actually excellent. Moving into the second half, however, I mean, it was a very different story. They apparently, again, according to SofaScore, they had 14 shots in the second half uh, with uh, eight on target. And that brings me to Alisson Becker. Um, it was the, he's the first goalkeeper to keep a clean sheet since Julio Cesar in uh, 2010 when he won it with Inter Milan. Uh, and he also... Um, got eight saves, which is the equal best in the Champions League final with Edwin van der Saar uh, when United lost to Barcelona in, in, back in 2011. So it was a heck of a performance, a monstrous, gargantuan, titanic performance from Alison Ramesses' Becca. Um, and our back four. I enjoyed watching our back four. Um, so, you know, Karen, would you, would you talk to me about our defence? I mean, you know, who was your best? You know, obviously, Alisson was brilliant, probably the man of the match. Would you agree with that? Is Alisson the man of the match? And who was your favourite out of the back four?
0: Yeah, Alisson was definitely um, the man of the match for me because of if he hadn't made those saves, it would be an embarrassing defeat for us. I mean, some of those uh, shots were really excellent and he saved them brilliantly and uh, he's won us the final. Um, so he's the man of the match for me. He was absolutely undefeatable uh, between the stakes and, um, and when it comes to uh, speaking about def- speaking about the defenders, I think Matip uh, stands out to me as the defender of the match or something, whatever it is. Um, the reason being that... Um, uh, Van Dyke had a pretty, uh, a little bit shaky game. Uh, is, that's how I assess it. Um, but Mata stood out, even, even though um, Van Dyke stopped uh, Son to dribble past him and avoid a one-on-one with uh, Alison Becker, and uh, Trent stopped a one-on-one with Son in the first half um, because Van Dyke was way ahead uh, during her attack. I think it was one of the corners and uh, he was slow to um, get back to his uh, position, and uh, the defense just simply opened up, and Son was literally one-on-one, but uh, Trent stopped him brilliantly, Um, and uh, Robertson, I think he had a decent game. He was not as effective, but yeah, I think he, he played exactly how he had to play, um, and I think Klopp prepared uh, the team in such a way that uh, we understand uh, Spurs tactics. I think it's evident because um, you must have read an article that has been circulating recently about um, we've played the Benfica's B team behind the closed doors friendly. And uh, Klopp asked the coach of Benfica's B team to learn Tottenham's uh, tactics and the formation. Um, and all sorts of uh, things that come into play. And we played against them in that formation with those tactics. And we were prepared for the game. So um, I'm not going to give stick to any of the players. They did exactly what they had to do. And uh, they won us the final. But Alison Becker, oh, my God, what a beautiful signing. He's won us the final. Most of the players in our team are playing in the first season with us. And this, they won the European trophy. I mean, it's pretty incredible to achieve that. And also for, uh, for a club uh, to get a sixth European title. I want to say that repeatedly because it feels so massive. Yes, we got six
1: stars. We got six stars. Keep saying it to yourself. It's true. It's true. And Alison Beckett was, was superb. Um, absolutely fantastic. Was he your man of the match as well, Shane?
2: Yes, he was definitely my man of the match, uh, solely based on that second-half performance. I mean, Tottenham had 14 shots, 8 on target, and the whole time I was soiling myself. I mean, even though, he, even though they didn't look too dangerous, because Allison Becker really handled them quite well. Um, and according to Sofa score, he had a match rating of 9.1. I mean, ugh. He is, he is just amazing. Oh, I also thought it was great that he uh, registered 17 accurate passes, and I, I believe the majority of those are with that magnificent cannon of an arm that he has. Um, so, yeah, I, I, he was absolutely pivotal. He was, the, he was a difference. He was, again, one of those storylines that comes into play between the year span between Kiev and now about the difference that Liverpool have, have made defensively with Virgil van Dijk and Allison Becker and he just completely snuffed out that one duration that Tottenham had, where they looked like um, they could have they could have leveled it up. Uh, uh, the other thing that I loved is that as soon as um, the final whistle went, it seemed like this whole different exuberant, enthusiastic personality came out of Alsen Becker. I know he's just won the European Cup, so he's you know he's on cloud nine. But like even through the parade and everything else, I just feel like this whole other different. Outgoing, charismatic guy came out of his shell because he's always seemed so stoic and like, I don't know, like, you know, more soft spoken the whole year to, uh, to now see that side of him. Uh, I mean, it, I just loved looking at him smiling. He looked like he was he was enjoying himself almost more than anyone else.
1: Yeah, totally. What a buzz buzzing like a bee on MDMA. Absolutely super. Superb. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful stuff. And that moment, of course, you the final whistle, everybody running onto the pitch, Klopp going straight to Pochettino to commiserate because, you know, Klopp knows and we know as fans the, you know, the pain of defeat in the final and, you know, lots of respect is due to Spurs and their fans, because, you know, one of my reservations about going to Madrid was I thought, you know, there's some, there are sometimes, you know, troubles between fans, but they were absolutely brilliant, the Spurs fans, and very gracious in defeat. And I spoke to, you know, a few of them who came to congratulate me and uh, i was there with fergus from cop on as well and uh, the, you know they congratulated us on winning the cup and we had a chat about the game and they were absolutely gracious um, in defeat, as I'll say that again, because they, they were superb, and uh, you know, I hope we would have been the same had we lost, but we didn't lose, they lost. Delhi Alley was rubbish, Harry Kane was rubbish, and uh, I was so glad to play Spurs. I didn't want to say it before because I didn't want to jinx anything, not that it. I'm particularly superstitious, but I didn't want to jinx anything. And, uh, you know, Deli Alley, I mean, he's he's overrated. Harry Kane hasn't been the same since, um, you know, since uh, he had those ankle ligament uh, injury, uh, I think about a year, a year and a half ago or so. Um, But, uh, you know, you said you were nervous, Karen. I mean heart-in-mouth moments there weren't too many but then we got the job done and we won the cup and those scenes at the end what are you going to remember from the scenes at the end of the match and you know how did you
0: celebrate were you just running around the house um yeah i was uh i was shouting a lot um i didn't care that it was three thirty a.m and i'm still shouting because <laughs> the, all the people in the building were asleep but i don't care um we have won the <laughs> European Cup six times, maybe six times. I'm going to say that all the time. Six times. Um, I was <laughs> celebrating. Dad was celebrating. My brother was celebrating. And he's not a Liverpool fan. I don't care. Everyone's celebrating. And um, there's so many moments um, um, after the final whistle that I remember. The moment that particularly stands out is Henderson Sag with his dad. And another moment is all the players, staff, and Klopp, Everyone singing. You'll never walk alone in front of the fans. Um, That was a pretty moment special. We've seen a similar moment like that um, after the Barcelona game. And we've seen that again. And I think this is the beauty of a club. We connect with the fans. Klopp is connecting with the fans. And we all can feel his emotions. He feels our emotions and it it just feels that we are right there with them celebrating. Um, Other moments are Henderson lifting that trophy. Oh my God, I can't get that out of my head and I don't want to because it's such a beautiful moment. Um, There's so many moments it's really hard to pick out, but these three stand out the best for me.
1: Great choices, great choices. What about you, Shane? Uh,
2: Yes, all the moments Karen talked about, uh, but uh, I just have to highlight uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and his family, just looking at the images and knowing the story of him, you know, growing up in Liverpool, going through the Youth Academy, his family being there day in and day out, supporting him every step of the way, to be this young, bright, shining star who's, without a doubt, in my mind, if he stays with us and things continue the way they are, is that He'll, he'll be a captain in the future. And in, he's just an incredible, incredible ambassador for Liverpool, for the club, for the people of Liverpool. And the fact that he's able to bring over the European Cup to his family, to his brothers, and they get to hold it with them, and they get to see him, and they get to kiss him, and they get to hug him, and they get to tell him, thank you, and you look at that and you're like, that, that, it's not just Trent who did all of that, it's that everyone there standing in that group all did that together, um, and 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 not enough credit goes to Trent as well. But yeah, that that memory for sure will will stick to me
1: for a long time. Yeah, beautiful answer. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Trent. I mean, 20 years old, European Cup winner. I'm delighted for him, as we all are. Is that, I mean what a player what a player at 20 years old i hope he stays on the right and he absolutely dominates and reinvents that position over the next what 15 years maybe he's he's some talent he's some talent um you know um, i want to move on to the next part of our of our episode, and we, I want to talk about the consequences. Now, as Karen keeps reminding us, and I would like to keep reminding you, the the dear listener as well, Liverpool, six times champion, and I'm just going to remind myself of that now. Liverpool, six times champion of Europe, Owen. Oh, is that right? Yes. Oh. That feels good. Yummy. Delicious. Uh, so, But what's going to happen now? What, where do we go from here? The first thing, um, you know, some sort of practical uh, consequences of winning that game is that we've got to play a Super Cup against Chelsea. That's on the 14th of August. And then in December, it's been confirmed today that Liverpool will travel to Qatar wonder how they got, managed to get it, but they're, they're going to host the Club World Cup, um, 4,396 miles between Qatar and Liverpool. I googled it earlier. Uh, we're going to go there in December. The Super Cup and the Club World Cup... Um, first of all i mean we've 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 won the super cup before, but we've never won the Club World Cup. but my question to you i'm going to stay with you, Shane, do you give a monkeys uh, no,
2: not really, not really I don't give a monkey's head, ears, fingers, toes, but whatever you whatever part of a monkey you want to give me i don't give up uh it's It's really not going to be a big deal uh we're going to handle it. We are really, really going to handle it. I want to see us, I mean, uh, honestly, when a, my wide-eyed uh, late night just fantasizing and thinking about the season at the beginning of the year, this is kind of what I imagined is that Man City would come out with the title, the Premier League title, for the last time for, the next, uh, for, uh, uh, for a little bit and that uh, Liverpool would win the Champions League. And now that that's really come to happen, the only way that I see the trajectory still continuing is us actually dominating world football, is us winning uh, these trophies, and, uh, and yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited. I also want to see uh, some of the consequences. I want to see um, our players internationally receive more le- leadership responsibility. I know we've got a team of international captains with so many, but uh, I thought a great narrative in that final that kind of flew under the radar was a year on from the captaincy of the three Lions of England being taken from Jordan Henderson and given to Harry Kane. And to have these two English captains going head-to-head for the European Cup and Jordan Henderson coming out on top of all of that, I don't know. of it, uh, It's a pipe dream of mine, maybe, but I kind of want to see Jordan Henderson get his
1: captaincy back. That's a brilliant point. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. Yeah, I mean, Hendo definitely came, came out on top. And another wonderful con- consequence, of course, is that, you know, it, it, people can't really throw jibes against him anymore like for the rest of his career you know if anyone wants to insult Henderson you can say well yeah but he lifted the European Cup though and that's you know the argument ends there there are so many wonderful wonderful consequences of this victory for example um as uh, you mentioned before Shane no one can take the mickey out of Klopp for losing finals no more abuse for Klopp people can say well he lost six finals in a row and you can say well yeah but he won the European Cup though you know absolutely incredible Uh, Wenger never won the European Cup for example so I don't know there are so many marvellous 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 consequences of this win Um, what would you you know what consequence would you like to talk about Karen
0: Um, I think some of the consequences would be um, we might have to sacrifice um, one competition like for example uh, the FA Cup or the League Cup or something if we are uh, to challenge um, in the domestic cup as well as the Champions League, but looking at City, I think it's possible. So, um, achieve, trying to achieve that, we might lose a little bit of fitness. I mean, that's obvious um, um, if we don't uh, have uh, enough signings uh, to back our team. Um, so, I think that would be uh, that would be a problem if we are to challenge for all the trophies possible this season. Um, So keeping players fit would be a challenge, so I think uh, that would be uh, a consequence, in my opinion, because we've just uh, heard the news that Daniel Sturridge and Alberto Moreno have left the club. So we need a replacement in the left back, um, someone to relieve uh, Firmino, um, strengthen the midfield, and all sorts of areas. So if you don't do that, then we're not going to achieve the same what we've done over the past two years. Um, it's going to be really difficult. Um, so I think we should make uh, enough signings to pack the squad and improve the strength of the bench. Uh, someone who can uh, get on and influence the game. Um, like for example, in the Champions League semi-final, uh, one of them was not picked, and upon his arrival, he just changed the whole game. We need players like that. In in a particular game, if we need someone to bring an impact, we need those kind of players. Um, and also some of the players that we need that can uh, help us change the system very effectively and very easily. Like if you want to change from 4-3-3 to 4-2-3-1, we need a central attacking midfielder or uh, someone who can uh, shift wide or something like that. So we need to think about the next few years how are we going to challenge and everything? So uh, if you don't do that planning, then there might be a little bit uh, of trouble or a few consequences along the way.
1: Brilliant answer. Yeah, again, wonderful, wonderful answers. Lots to talk about there. Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the fact that, yeah, fitness could be a factor next next season. And uh, for the record, we, we're we basically going for seven Trophies, if you in, if you count the charity shield next season, um, including the Club World Cup in Qatar and the Super Cup versus Chelsea, I really hope the Club World Cup, especially, doesn't impact negatively upon our Premier League season because that's the one we we need to chase like hungry lions with a you know f- chasing a, a you know a lost gazelle. We need to chase. That Premier League down. But yeah, there are some wonderful, wonderful points. And in terms of transfers as well, yeah, moving forward, we need a bigger squad. Um, you know, uh, best of luck to Marino, best of luck to Sturridge in the future, of course. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'd like to talk to finish uh, uh, by talking about transfers. Um, because that was a question that we received on Twitter from at Wanderers underscore note. That's Wanderers as in people who move rather than people who question things. Um, but yes, uh, Wanderers underscore note said, um, potential summer transfer window targets. Karen has already mentioned one of the positions that he, you know he would look to bring in reinforcements for being a central attacking midfielder but, uh, but Wanderers underscore notes says where do you see the Reds needing to bring in reinforcements for the team um, so there's lots of wild speculation so far Shane uh, regarding Ericsson, uh, Mbappe uh, Salah leaving to United which made me laugh and made me block mail online for just being so stupid as to you know, do an article about that you know, absolutely. I mean, it's hilarious how, how wrong they are. Uh, obviously, wrong they are. But yeah, where do where do we need to strengthen, Shane? Where what would you do this summer in terms of transfers?
2: Um, that kind of wild speculation is. I I I think people just do it to fill up their time to have something to talk about during the off season because there's because there's no there's no footy being played. Um, uh, I don't think we're gonna have. Uh, like Mbappe or a big name big wage bill kind of signing like that I feel like that would really kind of go against the ethos that we have about how we try to be nimble and aggressive financially uh and we try to overachieve and get the best for our value and so um I know Mbappe is probably worth every every penny every cent in the entire world um but I uh I just, I just can't, I just can't see that. I just can't see that happening. But you know, I'd be very happy to be proven wrong, personally for myself. From what I can tell, and I think actually today's departures from the club confirm it. Which, by the way, I it's special thank you to Daniel Sturge and Alberto Moreno for their service to the club. Oh, uh, you know, we we love them for what they did for us. Um, and I, you know, they did have their rough patches and their they did have their struggles, but definitely thankful for for the the game time they put in and I couldn't have done nearly as good of a job as they ever did um so yeah I all the best to them but I think those are actually the kind of the two people that we need to replace in a way I definitely think we need a, ro- a rotation for Mane uh, or a rotation for Bobby someone who could kind of go in between left forward and or maybe a striking uh position primarily and then the other position would be just a rotation for uh, Andy Robertson um, I think just on that uh, that left back position I know Milner can play it uh, but I think Milner services better uh, as a midfield substitution or someone to start the game off so I could definitely see that left back being a, a target uh, and the left wing up front being a target uh, uh, obviously a glamorous signing would be Memphis Depay from uh, Leon you know everyone speculating based on his all red suit and all red Private jet, even though it landed in Rotterdam, uh, but uh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it could be somebody like that, but definitely for the left back position, I think it's going to be somebody under the radar. I think it's going to be somebody that the recruiting department has had their eyes on for a while, and I think it's going to be someone that we're not exactly anticipating but it's going to be someone who just fills in and slots in quite nicely.
1: Memphis Depay you mentioned there I would avoid him with a barge pole now because yes he's been rumoured for a couple of weeks and I've looked into it and his stats aren't good and uh, he tweeted uh, I think it was last week 10 days ago happy birthday to Eric Cantona and uh, you know he seems still tied to Manchester United he did a stupid rap song with the Eiffel Tower in the background as if he's, a, you know, a rapper. So he's like a sort of, you know, he, he's like a Man United player, a modern Man United player, much more than he's a Liverpool player. In my eyes, because I don't think he's good enough, but I I totally agree that that's one of the positions we need to look at. Is someone who can play on the left, who can rotate with Manny, or he can even come in for Manny and then we can move Manny as a striker because he's brilliant in that position, really underrated. Or we could move Manny over to the right and put, you know, Mo Salah up front if, say, for example, Bobby's injured. So yeah, a left-sided. Uh, attacker, I would totally agree with. Um, apart from, a, you know, regarding the left-back situation, we do have two very, very good young players, Adam Lewis and uh, La Russie, um, who's uh, 19, I think, French. Um, Adam Lewis, around about the same age, and they're both extremely talented, but... You know not quite ready, but maybe in six months, maybe in a year, they will be ready, and hopefully Robertson can be injured but then, if robertson 's injured, maybe Joe Gomez can play on the on the left or something so i wouldn 't say left back, contrary to popular opinion, left back is that much of a of a of an issue of a priority, uh, although it would be nice to get someone else in i don 't think it 's urgent, urgent, but one Position that hasn't really been talked about, but I think is actually urgent, uh, not just for the reasons that Karen mentioned, if we want to change to a 4231, is if we go to a 4231, let's say. I would buy a defensive midfielder, someone who can play the six or the eight, but a defensive-minded midfielder because neither Genie nor Henderson have really cut it for me in that position. I've got to say, as a number six, Henderson, I love him in the eight. Genie, I love him in the eight, or even, you know, further forward for Genie. I think he's he's a marvellous, marvellous player. But I think we need another defensive-minded midfielder Um, Would you agree with that, Karen?
0: Yeah, I think um, if we can improve in all sorts of areas, it will be better for us. Yeah, I think someone who can attack on the left, uh, so that we can rotate forwards. And um, like you mentioned, Adam Lewis and the French player who can replace um, Andrew Robertson. And... Um, I think that is a smarter option because uh, if you take the example of Trent Alexander-Arnold coming up from the academy and playing so brilliantly and people um, uh, people are appreciating him, people are taking him as an example. So I think he's the epitome for all the academy players out there that yes, even I can do the same what he's done. Um, So I think we can give Adam Lewis or the French player a chance to um, um, make the name and slowly get into the first team. Um, Yeah, I think a defensive, uh, a number six player, um, possibly a -A CAM and a left wing and a replacement for um, probably one of the goalkeepers uh, because I think Bignoli is desperate for playing time. So if we can... um, if we can transfer him to a club where he can get some playtime, that would be great. And someone to replace him. Um, I'm not sure but Carrius, if he wants to come back or Klopp has plans for him. But if we are planning to add on in that department, I think it would be, you know, one of the players would be there as well. So I think we can sign a play in all four departments, goalkeeper, defence, midfield and um, forward. Um, I'm not sure if Lovren or if Klopp is planning to sign um, the late or any other centre-back. Um, but yeah, I think we can improve in all four departments. And um, we'll just see how the transfer season goes. Yeah,
1: we will. I've got to be honest. Uh, you know, like like uh, you know, Shane was talking about, the wild speculation people do it because they've got nothing else to, to do. I, I'm not a big fan of just, you know, just crazy pulling, you know, putting a name out of your posterior and uh, publishing it. Um, You know, I I like solid links, you know, very solid links from the likes of, you know, James Pearce, Melissa Reddy. Journalists you can trust, but the wilder ones, yeah, we'll just see what happens. Uh, One thing I wouldn't possibly do I possibly wouldn't do is smash the wage structure uh, to get Kylian Mbappe I've been banging on about him all season saying we should sign him we should sign him we should sign him dream signing but thinking about it you know Shane said earlier it's um it might be wrong to break our wage structure for one player even if he is the next Pele I don't know the final question, I want to thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today, but I've got, just got one final, final question for you, and it comes from at Melbourne Reds 1 on Twitter, at Melbourne Reds 1, as in the, the number 1, don't spell it. Um, he. It's a bit of a story as well, but uh, he says, what's the weirdest, most outlandish location that uh, you guys have ever watched Liverpool FC play in? Um And for Melbourne, Reds um, says that his or hers was in Swaziland in 1984, five days after Liverpool beat Roma to win number four. Uh, Liverpool came down to southern Africa and played two exhibition matches in Swaziland against Spurs of all teams. Uh, he or she saw the first match, which we won 5-2, and both teams played full-strength sides. Only soonest didn't travel, as he stayed in Italy to tie up his move to Sampdoria. And then uh, Melbourne Reds won, can't remember the result of the second match. Uh, by all accounts, Liverpool spent their week there getting pissed, as in drunk, and why not? And Melbourne Reds 1 ends his lovely question, tweet and story with six trophies and the words six, baby, six. So it's a lovely question. Where's the strangest place you've ever watched Liverpool play? And I've got to say, I, I, unfortunately, I haven't seen them as much as I would have loved to because I've always been living in different countries. But I remember when Kenny Dalglish brought brought his Blackburn side to Jersey when I was a kid, and played at this tiny stadium in Jersey called Springfield, which has a stand of about, I don't know, 500 people can fit in there, and then there were another, you know, few thousand that sort of stood up around the pitch on the outside, and uh, that my, my, my abiding memory from this, this was Blackbird's title-winning team, uh, and they had links to Jersey through Jack Walker, their late owner, rest in peace, but uh, they had, so, uh, for a pre-season friendly, Alan shearer came to jersey kenny dalgleish came to jersey and they were warming up and um there was a cross came in from the from the left and uh, you know my brother's best friend James Lawrence ran onto the pitch got in front of Shearer and nodded the ball into the top corner and he was about 14 years old at the time it was hilarious that so that was one of the strangest uh, places i've ever watched you know a kenny dawgleish team played but i've got to say i've never really seen liverpool play in a weird place have have you shane no, unfortunately not.
2: I have never, and I know I am almost terrified, petrified to say this, but I have actually never seen Liverpool play live. Unfortunately,
1: that's fine. You live in Los Angeles. What can you? I mean, you know, it's it's it's, it's thousands of miles away. It's totally normal, and there are lots of Liverpool fans across the world in exactly the same boat. You have nothing to be ashamed of.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for saying that. Uh, it, uh at, and I'm. I honestly uh planning on trying to see them. I'm trying to make plans to see them this coming summer because they're coming to the U.S. for three games, uh, one of which they're going to play at the uh, Notre Dame uh, Stadium. Uh, funny pronunciation over here. Uh, but yeah, uh, in July, they're going to be playing against Brucio Dortmund. So I am. Uh, Rubbing, rubbing my uh, my lottery tickets together and uh, everything else to get the good luck going for me to make that happen. <laughs>
1: yeah, excellent answer, excellent answer, and Karen as well. I mean, you're in, you know, you're in India, very, very far from from Liverpool. Have you actually managed to to see our beloved Reds in person yet?
0: Um. Yeah, when I was in Manchester, when I was pursuing my master's degree there. I saw Liverpool play three times: two times at Anfield and one at Tranmere Rover Stadium. Um, it was a pre-season friendly, but I think um, at Tranmere it was it was um, it was stadium full. So I think it was uh, it was amazing to watch the first team play there. Um, but I haven't seen the first team play in a weird ground. Um, but um, just to mention that um, in one of the seasons, Bayern Munich came to India to play their preseason friendly against the Indian clubs. And it sounded weird. I mean, why would Bayern come here? But um, Yeah, that was uh, pretty funny for me. But I haven't seen LFC play in a weird crowd. I've only seen them play at Anfield and at Tranmere. Well,
1: yeah, exactly. But, you know, brilliant to have seen them uh you know in in any case but you know as i say it's not necessary to see our beloved reds in person if uh, we live too far away or if it's too expensive which is what it is for me uh, to travel to liverpool um but uh, you know it's you know it's our support all around the world that really counts and it really does mean something and i've loved the pictures i've seen and the videos i've seen from indonesia from lebanon really from around the world of thousands and thousands of reds all together cheering each one of us is a champion of europe and i want to thank you so so much karen you're a champion of europe shane You're a champion of Europe. We're all champions of Europe. And thank you for being on this
0: Champions of Europe special. Thank you, Champions of Europe. I had a wonderful time.
2: (laughs) Thank you so very much, guys. Both of you are champions of Europe.
0: Six times, baby, six times, six
1: times. Six times, baby, heck yeah, all right. Did you know that according to numerology, the number six itself is regarded as a perfect number, as it is the sum of all of its divisors. As a perfect number, six is associated with harmony and balance. It is all about responsibility, security, and living a harmonious life. And I want to thank you, the glorious listener, and I hope that you are indeed living a harmonious life, especially now that we have have number six. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about Ari Let's talk about Rafa Fagan, Jürgen Klopp, and Bob Paisley. Let's talk about six. Hoo-yah. Thank you, you glorious, glorious, wonderful daffodil. We'll be back soon. Not much to talk about in terms of footy, I suppose, but we'll be back. Some kind of transfer shows all of that malarkey to come. For now, all we have to do, I suppose, is revel.